Hello and welcome to the Groove Sofa podcast. I'm Alice. And I'm Lucy. And together we want to invite guests to come and share their grief with us. Our aim is to cover a whole range of grief from a whole range of people. We're sorry for your loss, but we are glad that you have found us. Thank you for listening to the Groove Sofa podcast. In today's episode, we speak to Dagmara as we remember her dad who died from cancer last year. This episode is a little bit different as we hear of the timeline of his diagnosis, his illness, through to his death. We just want to have a little bit of a trigger warning at the beginning because we do go into quite a lot of detail about his death and those last moments of his life. Um, Hi, my name is Dagmara. I am dedicating my episode to my beautiful dad, Wojciech Feiferek, who died of gastric cancer on the 15th of July 2020, aged 44. In February 2019, um, dad starting to be experiencing some excruciating pain in his abdominal area. Um, it happened three times over three weeks. Um, and as uh, I don't want to say all men, <laughs> but most men, um, they're quite stubborn and don't like to go to doctors. Um, and, you know, I'm quite afraid of doctors I think my dad my dad was the same um so initially they thought it was food poisoning but obviously it happened for three weeks and my mom sort of had to push him to go to the doctors um because she started to get quite worried about him like you know like like he would yeah so he did end up going to the doctors uh the doctor was quite worried because he looked quite pale and you know he was quite he lost quite a lot of weight by then um so there were some red flags so the doctor advised him to get a blood test and well the blood test showed extreme anemia and um, also blood loss from a point that they didn't know so the doctor then referred dad to get a, a gastroscopy to, to see where the blood was escaping from. So the doctor also mentioned that it was likely to be a stomach ulcer, but in the worst case scenario, it could be cancer. And obviously all of us thought, well, how can dad have cancer? You know, he's such a healthy individual. He was working full time, you know, looking after the family. Um, There didn't seem to be anything wrong with him. except from the Spain that he was having, quite mysterious. Um, And so on the 22nd of March, uh, he went to have his gastroscopy done. And on the same day, he was diagnosed with um, cancer, uh, which was one of the worst, yeah, one of of the worst days I've ever had. That must have been such a shock as well for for you having that experience with him being so young as well. He was, what, 43 when this was happening? Yes, 43. Yeah? Yeah, 43, yeah. So he's Um, so young and you're having this experience and you think, well, actually, realistically, you know, they say it could be the worst case cancer, but really, you know, it's probably just a stomach ulcer. It's going to be okay. Mm. And it was that hype that we had, you know, we, we had that, that false hope that, you know, it was just going to be an ulcer and it's going to be treated with some um, medicine. 
And yeah, so um, I was actually in my third year of uni um, at that wow. point. So when it all started happening, I rushed back home. I had my dissertation due literally the next month. Yeah, it, it was a massive shock. It was one of the worst days in my life. Um, I remember dropping mum and dad off at the hospital and, you know, driving back home and thinking, oh, this is going to be nothing. And then my mum calls two hours later and she says, you need to pack dad's bags and come to the hospital and bring Oscar, my little brother, with you. It's not good news. And I, mm-hmm. I could just hear through the phone that she was crying. Like, you know, you can just you can just hear in their yeah. voice. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I put the phone down and I automatically started crying as well because I was like, this is not good news. This is yeah, this is cancer. Um so I quickly rushed to get Oscar and we drove to the hospital. Um and I have this like vivid memory of all of us standing in the hospital where dad was laying in the bed and we all cried and cried and cried and Oscar bless him he was eight going nine he didn't know what was going on Mm. he was just like is daddy gonna survive you know like that was his first question yeah um I just yeah it it just it was a real shock to everyone because we thought, you know, it wouldn't have happened to us. Like, he's young, he's healthy. It wouldn't you, have happened to us. And you never expect it to be happening to you either. I think that's the cruelty around cancer is that it kind of doesn't matter how kind of it feels so distant so much of your life and then suddenly when you're faced with that diagnosis of somebody that you love you think oh my god what like how how can this Mm. be happening and you know you're standing in a room with your little brother who's Mm. you know you can barely process that information Mm. I can't even imagine how your mum was having to kind of hold hold things together to be there for both both of you and and your dad at that time that must have been so so difficult to navigate I think we were just in a massive shock, to be quite honest. We were, we just didn't expect that news. <laughs> yeah. Not on that day, you know. We just didn't expect it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so fast forward to April um, 2019. Uh, we had the first oncology appointment. Um, where Dad was initially um, diagnosed with the cancer being stage three. And, you know, the oncologist was like, yeah, we can operate on that. And, you know, if we find where it is exactly, there could be an operation and, you know, that could be it, you know. And so she referred him to have a, um, oh, my God, laparoscopy done. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. To locate where exactly the cancer was. So then he had that done and the results showed that the cancer was extensive by that point. So it spread virtually everywhere in his stomach. Mm. So the final diagnosis was stage four gastric cancer after a month, which (laughs) again, um, was a massive shock because, you know, I thought we thought that it was going to get operated on and it was going to go. 
I think that the, one of the most difficult things with cancer is that you have this timeline and it kind of, whether it's, a, whether you only have a week from diagnosis to death or whether you have months or whether you have years, mm. it feels like there's moments of hope throughout that time and so you're on this constant roller coaster yeah you know you've had this diagnosis which was a shock but then there's hope that that diagnosis is stage three and that they'll be able to find it and cut it out and hopefully get him well and and okay again and then you have this massive knockback again and Mm. it's so hard to navigate it really is it's it's it just blows my mind I have no idea how I went through that time, you know, being so hopeful because looking back, how could we be so hopeful if it was so bad from the start? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So um, obviously he had to go through chemotherapy um, as normally cancer patients do um, to get the cancer shrinking so he initially went through six courses of chemotherapy which ended in July 2019 and that was from May and um, so he finished it all and we had some promising results because the cancer started shrinking and so because of the results he was put on a waiting list for a medical trial so he was he was um, supposed to um, actually undergo that as well because obviously the cancer was shrinking um so there was this like period uh of him just waiting for them to sort it out which was around a month um and then in September 2019 uh, he had a PET scan because he was under like a constant um you know monitoring and everything Mm. Um, so he had another PET scan uh, in September um, that showed the cancer was yet again growing um, but this time it also showed that it moved to his liver oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> so he was put on another um, course of chemotherapy but that time uh, the chemotherapy was much stronger so, you know, there was a risk of his hair falling out mm. and not that there was m- much left of it anyway. He was bold. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. Yeah. Um, so he. Yeah. So at that point, everything started going downhill, really, for him. He was extremely sick after that chemo. Um he was losing his hair, uh, being really weak. And there was countless of times where I had to rush him to the A&E because uh, he was having high temperature, which uh, they said could be an indication of sepsis. Mm. So we had to rush him to the hospital like countless of times. Um, and because of that, he also missed my graduation uh, in November that's so Uh, sad it was it was supposed to be one of the happiest days of my life and it really wasn't (laughs) yeah bless you so yeah he was at that point he was in and out of hospital um 
and getting blood transfusions and that kind of thing because he was constantly losing blood he was anemic throughout his whole cancer but it went up and down um so yeah, he const- he constantly had blood transfusions, and um, I remember Oscar. <laughs> um, Oscar was like, "Daddy, you know you're not Polish anymore." And Dad was like, <laughs> um, "Why do you think that?" And Oscar was like, "Well, because you have English blood now." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so like sweet. Such a you know child, child's way of thinking. That's that's so adorable that Oscar said that. Yeah, <laughs> and we just, it really stuck with us. We were just like, yeah. oh, Dad's not Polish anymore. <laughs> that's, that, that's not Polish anymore. He's English blood. <laughs> yeah, he's got English blood now. <laughs> In January 2020, um, Dad had another PET scan. Um, this is when he was told that the chemo wasn't helping him anymore. Um However, the cancer was stable, so it wasn't growing or shrinking. It was just there. Honestly, we didn't really know what to think about that mm. um, at all. Uh, you know, we didn't know whether we should, you know, think that it's going to be all right or should we think that that is going to die soon? Um, so that that was that was the point where we were just so scared um, because it was just a massive unknown for us. It's Um, um, interesting to hear you say that actually, because we had the same um, situation when dad, when dad's treatment stopped working and they said, well, the treatment stopped working, um, but the cancer's kind of lying dormant almost. It's not doing mm -hmm. anything. Um, And we can't tell you whether it will be months until it starts growing again or whether it will be weeks. Mm. So you just sort of have to <laughs> You live just don't know what with to it. do. <laughs> and you so don't you know don't know, know like yeah. the fa- and as like as as a family going through that time and not knowing how much time is left and knowing that it's it's not it, again it's that it's that that glimmer of hope that okay well it's not doing anything it's not growing it's not shrinking what if it did this for the next 10 years yeah exactly and um you know at that point we we were starting to tell Oscar that Mm. dad was quite unwell and you know he's probably not going to get better and it was so hard for us to tell him that because his understanding of dad not being able to live for very very long was a hundred years that's so hard and I remember going to pick my mum up from work and Oscar came with me in the car and I said you know Oscar that's really unwell he's not going to be able to live for very long and he was like oh a hundred years and I didn't know what to say I, I didn't know what to say I started crying and and he was just like why are you crying and I was like I I don't I genuinely don't know what to tell you Oscar yeah that's so hard because children's conception of time is so warped you know like yeah 
they think that we're old when we're 17 or 18 mm. you know when you're eight years old somebody who's 12 feels like they're way older than you exactly. so the idea that you know he probably thought your dad was an old man already because yeah. he was in his 40s yeah exactly <laughs> exactly so that was also another really hard aspect of the whole journey um preparing Oscar for the worst and you know like um dad didn't want to know how long he has left and all his reports the doctor wrote that he doesn't want to he doesn't want to know and I totally respected his you know decision Mm. because if I was in his position I don't think I would want to know in fact my parents didn't even tell me that it was a terminal cancer until I finished uni because it was dad dad's decision because he knew that if he told me I would have dropped out and I would have probably yeah (laughs) Yeah. um he wanted me to you know um finish all my exams and dissertation and and he wanted to protect you and I think Mm. you know one of the hardest things and one of the things that makes me so sad when I think about my dad and and his cancer is how much he did to protect us whilst mm. he was going through so much pain mm. and I can't you know you're talking about having to prepare your brother that is such a big job for you Dagmara you know to go through that experience to have to have those conversations because you're so young as well you know yeah. you're also losing your dad in this process and so I think you know it shows such incredible strength that you show still now, because I know that you have such a strong relationship with your brother and you you are a really big caregiver for him. Mm. So it's incredible to hear you talk about that time and and, and to you. be able to show that strength. And it's clear that your dad, you know, really, really taught that to you as well in his in his experience with cancer and, and showing you that strength right up until the end with his diagnosis. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean I think when you're in that situation, you are in a sort of mode and you're like a robot, aren't you? Um, You're just going through the motions and trying to stay sane, I guess, and stay positive. And yeah, it's looking back, I I don't know how I did it. Hmm. I don't know how I had those like, difficult um, conversations with Oscar or mum you know with mum like we used to because it was in the middle of pandemic the the last months um and we used to go shopping together like food shopping with mum we didn't want to take dad because it was a massive risk me and mum we used to have really difficult um, conversations in the car what if this happens or how long do you think dad has left Mm. you know because he was at the end, he was really deteriorating so fast. Yeah. It, it was just hard to, it was hard to see, but also, you know, like we didn't know how long he has left and and you could see it was towards the end, like, you know, you could see that he was, he was dying mm-hmm. and it was, yeah, I have no idea how I did it, <laughs> you guys. I have no idea. <laughs> oh, bless you. I can't imagine, you know, going through that and having those conversations it sounds so so tough it really does Mm. it was 
it was really tough. So yeah, going back um, March 2020, Dad suddenly felt really unwell and became a lot more pale again. And that's when we called out the ambulance for the first time and he, he was rushed to the hospital. So Dad had a serious bleed, um, but they managed to catch on time. And they gave him an option to have one zap of radiotherapy to stop the bleed. Yeah. Um, which he did agree to, but there was a massive risk with it. He will have an ex- basically like a massive bleed. Yeah. Um, if it didn't work, um, palliative care nurses came to our house. I remember, and they they bought this like medicine, this like emergency medicine to our house. And mum was taught how to basically administer um, to him if there was an emergency. Gosh. And at that point, um, at that point, everything was going wrong. It was just Mm -hmm. going wrong. In April, we noticed that dad became even more tired. He used to go for naps every day. And yeah. the naps just got longer and longer and longer to the point that in May, you know, he was barely getting out of the room. He was just not able to move from the bed at all, really. He mm. just had no energy. And in May, we had our, our last trip as a family um, to this beautiful lake. I can't remember the name of it. But all I can remember is that dad drove us there, but he was in such bad pain. Yeah. Um, and he was trying to manage it with paracetamol, which was just not helping wow. him anymore. Mm-hmm. So at that point in May, we had to get him on morphine um, yeah. because the just the over-the-counter drugs weren't helping at all. So in May, we also had a chat with the oncologist, just me and mum, because we wanted to know her opinion on everything. And we got the devastating news um, that dad probably only has uh, a few months left if he deteriorates the way he does. That's what she says. I have no idea how I took that. I can't remember what I did. I know that I didn't cry. I know that immediately after the phone call, I went to go and get his medicine from the pharmacy. Mm. And it's like it's like going back to the the whole thing of like being in this like you know like motion state where you just you know you like like you act like a robot really. You just yeah, go you're in the motion. autopilot. You're yeah. just trying to. And all those bad, yeah, and all those bad, like, news you just take and it's like you're emotionless. You do become numb. I think think when you've experienced a long-term illness and you've been through all of those, those experiences of having all of that bad news delivered to you, you do become somewhat numb to what it feels like I know when dad was told that he had two weeks left to live when I found out I think I was the same I think I just was like well I'll just it won't 
he's proved us wrong before he'll keep going like I have mm. this real sense of you know he'll just keep going <laughs> you know you don't know what else to believe do you I remember I remember talking to my colleagues at work and I said you know we had some really bad news that it might be a matter of months and I said but we know that dad is strong enough to fight this and <laughs> and you know like they all were in such a shock that I said that, but I truly mm. believed that he was actually strong enough to fight this. And, you know, mm. he's going to be all right in a few months and he's going to pick himself, you know, like pick himself up, I guess, and, and carry on. But he just didn't, he just didn't have that anymore. He couldn't, you know, didn't have the strength anymore. Um, so in, in June, he started losing his appetite which is I think that's another stage in the whole process where it's like oh yeah it's it's coming to an end now and he started to lose a lot of weight I remember him being skin and bones at the end and it was so hard to see and so yeah he became more frail every day he was he was disappearing from our our eyes every day and I remember one day he started to feel really um, like dizzy and he had to call the ambulance again because he yet again had another bleed. And yet again, he had another option for the radiotherapy and um, stop the bleed. But this time he said no to it. He, I don't think he could take any of the sickness anymore. He was feeling bad enough and I, I totally understand. Uh, he came back home and the doctors said that he needs to have blood tests done every every week um, just to monitor how he's doing. He started deteriorating even even more. He so before he, you know, he did spend a lot of time upstairs in the bedroom, but he would come downstairs. And uh, but in July of 2020 he stopped walking he couldn't get himself off the bed he couldn't do anything he couldn't shower um he couldn't go to the toilet properly um so I basically had to become a carer for him that's so it's so much and having to having to care for uh for anyone is it's really really hard um, I found that being a carer for my dad in those last weeks of his life were really, really difficult because, mm. because I saw him as this really strong and incredible pillar of our family and the man that the cancer had, you know, created mm. him, you know, it had taken away every part of his independence and he mm. would have hated to be like that so it was really hard being a carer for him when he was in that state it was just it was just so heartbreaking it, to see him like yeah, that I was gonna say it really breaks you apart you just you just can't imagine you know the the pillar of your whole family to to become to become so weak and 
I just, it's just, if, if someone hasn't experienced it, they don't quite know what it feels like. It is, I just, yeah, it is just so hard to see and to go through it. Um, I remember my dad, he stopped eating, you know, proper food. He had to have the nutri drinks. I don't know if you, your, your dad had them as well. Yeah just to bring the calories up and I remember he used to have weird cravings as well but at you know at the end we just sort of gave him everything that he wanted we didn't care about diets or anything like that because we just knew it was the end I was telling Alice actually that my dad was um he became obsessed with raspberry ripple ice cream oh my god (laughs) (laughs) But he would just eat all of the, the raspberry ripple out of yeah. the ice cream. So we were just <laughs> left with these tubs of vanilla ice cream afterwards. But it was that and it was um, Capri Suns. Like they were the things that they were cold. It was easy mm. for him to swallow. Um, yeah. I think they had enough flavour in them for him to be satisfied by that. Mm. But in those last in those last weeks, you know, it's really hard to eat when you're that poorly. Mm. Um and I think, you know, they just need something that's really easy to eat. Yeah. And at that point, everything goes out the window. You think, well, if this person is going to die, we've got to just give them everything that they want. We're not going to think about. Yeah, diets or yeah, yeah, nutrition as such. I've, I remember my dad, he, um, he used to love those uh, fruit pots. Oh, yeah. If you know what I mean, the fruit in the syrup. Yeah, I know. He used to eat them every day because that's the only thing that would be soft enough for him to swallow. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, he, he drank the nutri drinks and he had weird cravings. Like I remember one time we were going out shopping and we used to always say, oh, Wojtek, what do you what what do you want? You know, what do you want from the shops? And he would just come up with the weirdest things. Like one time he was like, I want the cream cheese and chive Pringles and we were like <laughs> okay no worries so we went to our normal shop and uh, we couldn't find them and for some reason that day we went to like three different supermarkets and we couldn't find those bloody <laughs> Pringles for him um, I, I think we ended up going to a to like Iceland or something and we did end mm. up actually finding them but at the end he couldn't even eat them and oh no yeah I know so we went to all this effort <laughs> and oh. he couldn't even he couldn't even enjoy them I remember him just um asking for sort of like tapas if you get what I mean of oh. like different things like different fruits so he can just pick from the from the bowls and just eat whatever he can sometimes you know he wouldn't even touch any of it um mm. but sometimes he would and you know one of those days would we would be again we would be really hopeful um yeah. he's getting his appetite back but yeah he spent most of most of the two last weeks in 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 bed uh I remember Oscar questioning us why dad was in bed and why he wasn't able to walk and again that's another thing that we had to explain to Oscar you know that that is getting worse and worse and worse so yeah go he was getting blood tests every every week 
and at the end uh, about a week before he died uh, we got a phone call from the doctor saying that his uh, bloods you know blood test is so you know blood count is so low that at this point he would need to get a blood transfusion every week because the blood was just escaping from his you know from his stomach it was just um. it was just so bad so she gave us an option of uh, him having this treatment where they would basically go into his veins and then see where the blood is oozing out from see if it's just a, a vein or two and they can close it up I don't know what it is I can't remember what it was called and if that doesn't work she said that that was it I remember being at work and I received that phone call I just bursted out into tears because you know before that you just sort of think yeah it is the end but you know he he possibly has like two months left three months left mm. you don't realize how soon it's going to be and obviously that thing that she said wasn't able to be done so he was just left there um and uh she said we'll give him another blood transfusion on friday which was five days before he passed away just to keep him going she said so I remember taking him um, to his last uh, blood transfusion in the hospital. And, uh, yeah, it, it just blows my mind because five days later he was gone. That's so heartbreaking and it's incredible, really, that you managed to get him out of the house into the hospital for a blood transfusion. I think, you know, my dad was quite a... He was a strong, stubborn individual. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> yeah, and he found that strength to get in that car. And, yeah. you know, um, in the hospital, we just had to take him around in the wheelchair. But somehow, I have no idea how, he found the strength to get out of bed that time and go and get that blood transfusion. Mm. It's amazing. And do you know what? We, when we spoke to Catherine um, a few weeks ago about her sister, Gabrielle, um, she said, you know, exactly the same thing is that, you know, they show this incredible strength, these people who are going through the cancer themselves. And it's almost like they're showing us this strength to remind us that we need to carry on and that yeah. we need to take that strength with us and, and, and live on with our lives with that strength, that, you know, that fire in our belly because that's exactly what they tried to do right up until the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, again, it just blows my mind. How can they find all this strength when, you know, he couldn't even get out of bed? So, yeah, so we took him for the last blood transfusion. And honestly, I don't think it kept him going for a few more days. But, yeah, the he was bleeding. He was just bleeding out every day and... um you know it, it wasn't going to make a much of a difference but we were happy that the doctor gave us you know gave us that extra time with that because who knows maybe he would have you know died in the hospital or something like that um which wasn't his his wish at all either um so so that was on the 10th and that weekend, so the 10th was the Friday, and that weekend, me and mum decided to buy a gazebo. I don't know why. 
um, <laughs> I think maybe, yeah, maybe just to get dad out the house somehow yeah. um, and for him to, to have like a, sh- you know, a sh- um, an area where it's shady and that. And so we bought this gazebo. We're no builders, you know. <laughs> Um, we didn't know how to put it together it was it was such a sunny day and uh, we managed to get dad out the out the bedroom and into the garden so he can enjoy a bit of the sun and and have a cup of tea Um, and he was and that's my last memory with him we were building the gazebo with dad trying to instruct me and mum on how to put the screws in the holes in the gazebo (laughs) wow and I remember having a conversation with him about getting a wheelchair because uh you know before that he because he's so stubborn he was so stubborn he believed that he was going to get better and he didn't need a wheelchair. He was, he was going to get better. I'm not disabled. He, he said, I'm not disabled. I'm not going to get a wheelchair, but we tried so hard to convince him because we wanted to spend more time with him, you know? Yeah. Um, so finally that weekend he gave in and he said, okay, we'll get a, um, a wheelchair from me. But little did he know that on Wednesday, the next week, um, he passed away. It was uh, the day before he um, started to, around, I think, half past seven, he started to get this uh, really, really, really bad pain in the side of his stomach. And he said, oh, I need to go upstairs. I'm feeling really he, he would never say that he's in pain. Yeah. He would just say, well, I'm feeling really tired. Or, um, you know, well, I just need to go upstairs. And we would know it would, it would be the, the pain that was making him do that. So mum followed him upstairs. He said, this is no pain that I've ever experienced before. He said, this mm-hmm. is really painful. So she quickly ran downstairs and she said, I think we need to use the emergency drugs. Wow. I think dad is having the bleed and I was doing I was just sitting I remember I was sitting in my um in this on the sofa and um cross stitching uh because that used to relax me mm-hmm. and um and I I was I was just really confused I was like what do you mean mum she was like we need to use the emergency drugs can you help me with it? So I, you know, I quickly ran upstairs with her and, um, and we uh, gave him a shot of the morphine. Um, we waited for 30 minutes and it didn't work at all. Um, mm. And it wasn't, he was in this pain and I just remember him screaming. So we decided to call the ambulance um, and uh, two lovely ladies came uh, Verna and Nikki and they were absolute angels and they were trying their best to make him comfortable and uh, then they had to call the district nurses to come and um, give him the syringe drive because yeah. he was going to get put on that permanently 
because he was in that much pain. And I just remember the night as being the worst night of my life. I remember his screams and him just, you know, moaning from pain. And at one point he was so out of it because they put so much drugs in him that he was screaming from pain that wasn't even existent. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he was just so out of it. Mm-hmm. I remember mom had to go to the toilet and I sat down with him. And um, his last words to me were, look after them, uh, meaning look after my brother and my mum. Yeah. Because he knew he was passing away. Mm -hmm. Like Mara. That just sounds so impossibly hard and so frightening. And I just remember just getting up and just going to the toilet and crying. And uh, so uh, we had the district nurses come throughout the night. They had to go in and out because uh, they had other patients to look after. And uh, next morning on the 15th of July uh, at around 6 a.m., mum shouted uh, from the room. She said, dad is dying, dad is dying. And, uh, And I just remember calling the ambulance and... Uh, telling them over the phone what his breathing pattern is like. Yeah. And they quickly um, quickly came to our house and uh, I remember both of them walking upstairs and saying to mum, your husband is in the process of passing away. Uh, Oscar wasn't there, by the way, uh, throughout the night. Um, Oscar was taken by the next door neighbour to her house for mm. to stay overnight. Bless uh, him. She knew what was happening and the, the ambulance was there for a very long time. And uh, she came in and obviously it was like mid-pandemic really, wasn't it? Yeah. And she was like, I don't care, I'm taking Oscar to the house. So yeah. Oscar was there. But um when Mum shouted from the room, Dad's dying. She said, you need to go and get Oscar because he hasn't said goodbye. So I quickly run and got Oscar. And uh, I remember standing at my neighbor's house door and I said, Oscar needs to say goodbye. And she was just in such a shock. Yeah. Um, So we were all there around the bed when dad was taking his last breaths. And uh, and I remember the paramedic, the paramedics were in in another room. They left us to her. Yeah. And at half past seven, uh, he took he took his last breath, and that was it. That was him gone. One night. <laughs> he, uh, so he said to my mum, "I was going to be really difficult for you now." And then he, and then he said, tell, tell all of them that I, tell, tell everyone that I love them. He said, um, mum puts a lot of blame on herself. 
um, which she shouldn't do um, because it's not her fault. It's really difficult because I think um, even when somebody has an illness, I think the people around them are just so desperately trying to find a reason for it happening that they start to blame themselves if there isn't any other reason. Mm. I I remember I remember blaming myself that I didn't do enough after dad passed away um I remember thinking like what else could have you know you know better if we went to another doctor and asked for a second opinion mm. um because we didn't do that we just we just went with the one doctor that we had would you know a different diet help him more I think, you know, I realised that we did everything that we could. Yeah, I mean, you know, listening to you talking about the whole journey that you went through with your dad, it sounds like you went absolutely above and beyond for him. You know, it sounds like you did everything you could as a daughter to look after your dad. We just wanted him to be alive, alive and well and back to himself. That's all we wanted. (laughs) I think the other thing that you did for your dad was you showed such strength during that time. He saw you looking after your mum. He saw you looking after your little brother. I I, I think there's a huge misunderstanding that, you know, we don't realise perhaps as, as, you know, really strong people in our families that, that is such a gift for them to be able to see us show that strength, mm. to be able to inherit that strength from them as our dads and to be able to give them some peace in knowing that we will be able to continue to support our families because yeah. I know I know how much you do for your mum and I know how much you do for your brother and, you know, that he would have he would have found a lot of strength in knowing that you were going to be, that they were going to be safe with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why he said what he said, but, you know, I did go through a period of time where I sort of started to become the mum in the family, which I've been working on with the therapist to sort of take a step back that, yeah, I, you know, it's it's good that I am fulfilling what my dad has said, but let's not go too crazy, <laughs> basically. Yeah, um, definitely. Because it definitely put a lot of strain on me. Um, but I do want to do it for him because um, I want to make him proud. He will be so proud of you. I know that. I know he will be. Absolutely. There's not a doubt in my mind. <laughs> I I hope he is. I hope he is. And I I hope I can, you know, through my episode, I hope I can um, give some strength to someone else and perhaps someone else can relate to my story as well. And um, I hope that, you know, my story can um, help someone not feel alone in all of this you tell us your favorite story of of your dad maybe it's not like a full story but my dad was quite an active person and I remember he used to always take us um on bike adventures um 
he used to take us to woodland and you know we used to pick wild mushrooms <laughs> with oh, him nice. as children and um I think he was just such a positive and active person mm -hmm. and I love that about him um because he was the one that kept everyone going Thank you for listening to this episode of the Grief Sofa podcast. Please subscribe, rate and review to help us reach new listeners. If you have enjoyed listening and would like to join us on the Grief Sofa, please get in touch on Instagram at the Grief Sofa or email us thegriefsofa at gmail.com.